This is part three of a series I've entitled Keep It Real. If you haven't been here for other parts of the series, fear not, my friends. Fear not, because it, it, we'll, we'll wrap it up. It all makes sense. But I call it Keep It Real because it's probably the most practical series that I could ever preach. And I try to make all my messages as practical as I possibly can, where you can take it and apply it today when you go home and, and start, you start to experience the change in your life, the change that God wants for you. But this one specifically, we're just going, I mean, last week we talked about time management. We don't, I mean, it's, it's practical stuff that we're talking about here uh, in this series. But essentially, like it says up here, it's a stewardship series. How are we, we have been given everything we need for life and godliness, everything we need to live an abundant life. You are in possession of it right now. You're not trying to earn it. God's already placed it within you. And the question is, what are you doing with it? And that's where stewardship uh, comes, comes into play. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But the, what I want for us at Grace Life Church is I want all of us, all of you, to live the life you want to live, not the life you have to live. As we say, we work at jobs we hate to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't like. And, and that's not the life that God wants for us. He doesn't want us to run the rat race. He wants us to get off the hamster wheel. Don't, don't live life as usual. Don't live the life that society says you're supposed to live. Live the life that you're created to live. And it might look, look completely different than anybody else's. It should, actually, in some aspects. But, I mean, we should be living the life that we want to live, not the life that we have to live. And just to give an example of that, yesterday I was talking to my kids and I don't know why I asked it. I was, they were, we were talking about, we want to fix our house up, put it on the market, and move. Not far, not far away, but just to a bigger house. We have a small house, and, and so I want to expand a bit. And, and a big, a big uh, hang-up, you could say, is our school district. Our kids go to a really good school district, so it kind of limits where we can move right now, and I just said, how would you feel if we were to, if you had to move to a different school? And they said, I wouldn't like that at all. And, and I said, well, I moved a lot whenever I was a kid, and I mean, I was, I was born in Florida. We moved to Texas. I'm going to go through the list, so y'all just hang on, all right? But we moved to our Florida, Texas, then up to Wisconsin, then back to, down to Texas, Point Comfort, Texas. Has anyone heard of Point Comfort? It, it, yeah, all right. So it's, it's just a few hours south of your little, little, little town. And uh, then, then I, uh, we moved to Austin. Then I moved to Andrews, Texas. Back to Austin. Back to Point Comfort. Then out to Odessa, West Texas. Then I joined the Army. Went to Fort Leonard Wood, uh, Missouri. Then down to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. Then back to Odessa. I was in the reserves at this time, so I was in the Army, but initially I just I was in the Army Reserve. So I came back home, I moved out to Odessa, and boy, things did not go well for me. I could not keep a job. I got fired from a couple of them. We don't need to talk too much about that today. It was, it was a rough time. I was 19 years old, 18 years old, and I could not keep a job, made some really poor choices. And that's when I said, I, gotta, I need to go active, active duty. I didn't go because I'm Mr. Patriot necessarily, is because I, 
I need to make some money and I'm getting fired from everything. But I, so I, I signed up to go active duty and my dad used to live in, in Conroe. So I came and stayed with him for a few months. Then I went, the, my orders came in. I went up to, uh, back to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Then I was stationed in South Korea. Then I was stationed in Fort Riley, Kansas. That's where I met Laura. Then I re-enlisted because I didn't know what else I was going to do. So I re-enlisted, went to Fort Carson, Colorado. Then I was deployed to Iraq. Then I was back to Fort Carson, Colorado. And then I got in, and we moved to Pueblo, Colorado. Then I moved to another house in Pueblo, Colorado. Then we moved down here to Conroe, stayed in an apartment for about 10 months. And then we moved to our house that we're in right now. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. And uh, so I moved a lot is the point. And, and before I joined the army, I mean, we even moved a lot back then. And, and my kids asked, why did you move so much? And the only reason we moved so much is, is my, my parents had got divorced whenever I was nine and my mom would follow the paycheck. Wherever she could get a job, that's where we moved. So we moved all over the place. And then whenever I joined the army, I mean, I didn't know what to do. So that's what I did. And I, was, I knew whenever I graduated high school, I was tired of people telling me what to do, so I joined the military. <laughs> and, and so I, I just, we moved essentially because we had no purpose in life. We were following paychecks, we were following, we were just kind of aimlessly going through life. So we ended up in all these different places and I never stayed, I mean, my fifth grade year, I was in three different schools. And so, and it's really hard. It's really hard on you to move around as much as, as we did, but it's, it's essentially a lack of purpose. And so I want us as a church to really understand our purpose. Know that you're made on purpose for a purpose. My mom didn't realize that. She didn't know she was made on purpose for a purpose. And that's why our life was the way it was. And she probably would have loved to keep us in one school from kindergarten until we graduated high school, but it just didn't work out that way. And so whenever you don't know your purpose, you're not gonna have a vision for your future. And when there, where there's no vision, the people perish. Your life is not gonna be what, you were crea what it was created for if you have no vision. So that's what we do here. We empower ordinary people to live extraordinary lives through a guilt-free, unreligious relationship with God the Father. And whenever you have that relationship, you get this picture on the inside of you, and, and now it's up to you to do something with it. So you might have a desire in your heart. You, you've taken time to delight yourself in the Lord. He's put a desire in your heart, but it's not going to happen automatically. That's where stewardship comes in. Because God's made you on purpose for a purpose, but you need to steward what you've been given accordingly. Things are not going to happen automatically. The verse that we've been using in this series is 1 Peter 4.10. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received, past tense, to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I'm not going to spend too much time on this because we have been talking about it a lot, but you have been given the gift. This life is a gift. Everything in this life is a gift to you. Now you need to open the gift and use it for what it was intended to be used for. The definition of stewardship is protecting and expanding the assets of another. That is powerful. That is powerful. Protecting and expanding 
the assets of another. God has given you a gift. Now it's up to you to open the gift, protect it, and expand it. I believe that when, when Jesus says that you will do these things and greater things, that's what he's talking about. We're, we're created to grow. We're created to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue. Subdue means to dominate. We're not meant to be dominated by life. We're meant to dominate life. Not just live the life that we're, we're, just, we're just so passive about because this is how it is. You're supposed to work. and Work is supposed to be stressful. And if I'm not stressed out enough by the end of the day, I feel like I haven't done enough. And it's just on and on and on we go. That's not what we were created for. We were created for so much more than that. Life and life more abundantly. Are we living that? If, ask yourself, am I living this? Am I, is this really the life that I was created for? I, is this why I was put on this planet, to do what I'm doing right here today? And it might be big picture. It might be careers or, or everything in your life, or it could be little aspects of your life. But if we learn to steward everything, become faithful stewards with every gift that we've been given, everything will start to change. Jenny mentioned this in, in worship, but how God has numbered the hairs on our head. And yes, as I look around the room and in the mirror, we've made it easier on God, some of us. But, but if God cares about those little things, he's numbered the hairs on your head. Don't you think he cares about your day-to-day -day life, the little things because sometimes what we do is we think he only cares about the big stuff, the spiritual stuff, our Bible reading and our prayer and our coming to church and our serving and our giving. But what about just how are we managing our time? How are we taking care of our bodies? How are we going about every single day? He cares about every aspect of your life. No area of your life is too small that you can't involve God in it. And so when you realize that, when you realize that this life is just a gift, it's not your life, it was given to you, but it's given for you, it's given to you to enjoy, not to wait till heaven someday, but so you can live on earth as it is in heaven, kingdom life right now, today, not somewhere someday. When you get that, it changes your perspective of everything. You start to see this. How, how am I stewarding this gift? How am, I, how am I taking this thing that was given to me freely? How am I using it? And none of it changes how God feels about you. I ended with that last week. I'm starting with it this week. That, that none of the stuff that I'm talking about right now changes how God feels about you. You are loved unconditionally by God the Father, no matter how good or bad you've ever been. That doesn't, that doesn't change any of that. But it will change how much you experience of that love, how much you experience of all the things, how much you experience the things that he's given to you. So, so far, quick recap, we've talked about the importance of stewardship. Last week, we talked about stewarding time. And I started with that, and I'm kind of building on this series because the number one excuse that I hear when people have that vision, that picture starts to to become real on the inside of them, their number one reason for not pursuing it is, when? I don't have time. I work full time, I have the kids, I have the dog, I have whatever, whatever else y'all have to do. And, and so we talked last week about how we actually have a lot more time than we realize. How are we stewarding it? How are we protecting our time, expanding our time? Because we all have time. You might, some of us have more time than others, but we all have those little areas of time that are going to waste. So it's not that you don't have time, it's what are you doing with the time that you've been given? It's the same with money. 
we all have more money than we realize, but are we using it on unnecessary things? Are we spending our time with unnecessary things? And it's okay to watch your shows. It's okay to, to look at social media even. It's okay to, to veg out. It's okay to relax and, and just unwind a bit however you want to do it. But if you are spending hours in the evening because you're so exhausted from work and you just want to not use your brain for a while, so you're on your phone or you're watching TV or both, <laughs> speaking to Lindsay today, and, uh, <laughs> and, and don't tell me you don't have any time is the point. There's probably a nicer way to say that, but you get it. You, we do have time. How are we using our time? How are we managing our time? So today, we're talking about, uh, so we went from stewarding time. The next step, I believe, is stewarding your thoughts. We don't think about that a whole lot. I mean, we think about how we think and think about what we think about, but stewarding it, protecting it, protecting our thoughts, expanding our thoughts, thinking big, dreaming big. If you're meant to live an abundant life, exceedingly, abundantly, more than you could ask or think, Take those thoughts, take that vision, protect it at all costs, don't be talked out of it, and then act on it and start to expand that vision. You can't even begin moving toward the life you're created for until you renew your mind. That's all stewarding your thoughts is. Uh, you have to see yourself as someone deserving of a new life and someone who's already in possession of everything you need to move toward that life. Verse I've like to use with renewing your mind would be Romans 12 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. There's a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, but how do we start to experience it? By renewing our mind. But you have to get to a point where you say, well, I don't like the life that I'm living, and, and there's this unsettling, unsettlement yeah, I just, I'm not fulfilled in life, and I'm admitting that enough is enough. A change needs to take place. So step one in any recovery program is admit you have a problem. So admit to yourself that a transformation needs to take place, and then you start renewing your mind. Re renewing your mind, that word in Greek, renew, means to renovate. And when you renovate a house, it, the first thing you have to do is get rid of a bunch of old junk that doesn't, that's not working for you. And you have to let some stuff go, some stuff that maybe you've thought or, or have done for a very long time. Belief systems that need to be uprooted. How's it working for you? So start to, to acknowledge the fact that, yeah, I've, I've been believing this my whole life. My denomination taught this. My pastor taught this. My family believes this. I've always just believed it. I've never questioned it. I've never thought about it. It's just what we've always said. Well, how's it working? Because there's substance to the things hoped for. Faith produces substance in your life. There's evidence to the things not seen. If there's no substance, if there's no evidence in your life of what you believe, maybe it's time to renovate. Get rid of some old belief systems. There's a lot of misunderstandings about who God is in the church. So let's go back, think about what we think about and approach it differently. Because when you see God for who he truly is, you'll want to involve him in every little aspect of your life. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. Prove it. We could say empty words all day, and God's this, and God wants this for you, and all that. Prove it. <laughs> How do you prove it? Steward everything. When you start, so it starts with changing the way you think, renewing, renovating, getting rid of old, but don't just throw out the old. Put new things in there, new things that are actually working for you, energy efficient stuff. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to replace all this old stuff that's not working with you with new stuff that's actually going to save you energy and work better. That's what starts to happen whenever you realize that we're meant to live heaven on earth. We don't have to wait till somewhere someday. We weren't put on this planet to hang on for dear life until we die. Thank God. Heaven on earth. We're created for earth. And so whenever you start to renew your mind, you start to speak these things, and you start to believe it about yourself, you start to look at yourself differently, even if nothing out here has changed quite yet. It will, but at first we're, we're just kind of working on it, and we're, we're renewing our minds, speaking differently about ourselves, believing differently about ourselves, believing differently about God, involving him. People are going to look at you like you're nuts. Oh, you're crazy. You're saying that God calls you righteous. Well, you're not acting very righteous. Holy. You're not acting very holy or blameless. Okay. Prosperous. Man, you are broke as a joke. And you're telling me that God calls you prosperous. People are going to think you're nuts. But I'd rather be crazy, people think I'm weird and crazy, and start moving toward the vision that God's placed in my heart, then stay where I was. I think that's crazy. To live a stagnant life, that's crazy. Let's do so. Say enough is enough. Let's, let's get out of the situation because God has given you that power, but it's not going to happen automatically. Start dreaming. Start dreaming big. That's what God has called you to. I love this. Don't you love this? This pumps me up because I'm so tired of living life as usual. And, and I get really good with it for a while, and then it gets good. Well, it's pretty good. Better than it used to be, at least. And then we just kind of coast. I am super guilty of this. Because it's easy to believe and, and speak and, and really try whenever your back's against the wall and you can't pay your bills or there's a sickness in your body or there's pain in your body or you're depressed or stressed out by life. It's real easy to say, oh, I'm frustrated. But when you're pretty good, but God wants you to be great, that's, that's a little bit harder. You got to be a little more intentional. People are going to think you're crazy. Whenever I say things about this church, I mean, I talked a little bit about it last week. I'll probably talk about it in more depth, but I have a big vision for this church. It's shifted a lot. But if I just said all the things that I believe, I believe that Grace Life Church is going to make a big splash in the greater Houston area. I think that we're uh, not necessarily going to be a giant church, but I think we're going to raise up people to go start up other churches all around the greater Houston area, the fourth biggest city in the country. And if we can change Houston, we can change this country. And if we can change this country, we can change the world. People are going to think you're crazy, especially when you show up and, and it looks like this. But I don't care because I have a vision. If I meet half of that, man, dream big. Your dreams should scare you, because if you're not scared by your dreams, 
You're not dreaming big enough. And if you're not dreaming big enough, you're not going to involve God in it. If you can do it on your own, you will do it on your own. So dream big. Get crazy with it. Crazy. This verse has been speaking to me. It's for this church, but I believe it's for all of us. It's Isaiah 54, uh, verse 2. Clear lots of ground for your tents. Make your tents large. Spread out. Think big. Use plenty of rope. Drive the tent pegs deep. You're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You're going to take over whole nations. You're going to resettle abandoned cities. That applies to you. It applies to this church. It applies to all of us. Think big. Clear lots of ground for your tents. God's doing something in your life. This isn't just a feel-good message where I'm trying to motivate you and pump you up. I'm trying to tell you that you are called for something great. Don't settle for good when you have been called to great. Man, people will hear things like that and think you're crazy, that you're brainwashed. But some of our brains need to be washed. <laughs> I need to get some of that junk out of there. Renew, who says brainwash has to be a bad thing? <laughs> All right. Your life is not yours. It's a gift. And when you realize that, it changes how you look at everything. It'll cause you to act. I used to think act works. That was like religion. You're telling me I have to do something? No, grace is free. Yeah, it's been given to you. When you really believe you are in possession of what's been given to you, you're going to use it. If you're not using it, probably don't believe you really have it. Got one, one amen. Thank you. Tim, help us get more charismatic. Thank you. Faith produces action. Faith produces works. James 2, 14. He says, what does it profit, profit my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? I think a, a more modern way of say that, to say that is thoughts and prayers, sending prayers, and we comment, it's okay if you do this, I'm not saying it's bad necessarily, but if you comment, prayers, sending prayers, sending prayers, no, send me some money. I can't pay my bill. I'm not, there is power in prayer. I'm not saying don't pray. I'm just saying we need to act. Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now, I used to look at this, and I thought I needed to work to prove my faith. And I put the cart before the horse. Faith without works is dead, so I need to work really hard to prove that I have faith. But it's the complete opposite. Your faith will produce works. So all he's saying there is faith without works is dead. All that means is if you're not acting on it, you don't have faith in that. 
You don't truly believe it because if you believed it, you would be acting on it. There would be works. Your, your performance would reflect what you believe on the inside. Proverbs 23 says, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. The outside is a reflection of the inside. You can tell me all day that you are loved and, and you have this great relationship with God, but if you're a big old jerk, I don't believe you. If you, don't, if you can't even love people, and it says that in 1 John 4, we won't go there now, but he says, if you say you love God, but you don't love one another, you don't get it. You don't know God. So, I mean, that's not this church, but generally speaking, the church people are known as critical, judgmental, hypocrites, because they don't know. And it's just vain repetition. We're just saying what we've always said. We're not thinking about what we're thinking about. We're not renovating our mind. We're not getting rid of stuff that's not working for us. We're just repeating what we've always said and judging everyone else for not believing everything the exact same way that I do. And we, that's, that's the view that the world has of the church. And it's just us, we're the special ones, versus them. But God, for God so loved the church, the, the, <laughs> no, for, for God so loved the world. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. God cares about the unbeliever. He cares about you. He cares about all of us. He doesn't love you more because you love him back. As they were driving nails into Jesus's hands and, and feet, they didn't love him. And what did he say? Forgive him. We have it in this mind that we have to act a certain way in order to get God to love us a certain way or a certain amount. He's loved you since before you were born. I don't know how I went down that path, but it was good, all right? So <laughs> it, if you want to know what you truly believe, Look at your works. If your attitude isn't, refl isn't reflecting what the word of God says about you, you don't know. So you don't have to pretend. It just means draw near to God, understand his love for you, and it starts to change you from the inside out. And that's when you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for, but work out your salvation. It's placed on the inside of you. Salvation isn't your ticket to heaven. Salvation is everything you need to live the life you were created for. Sozo. It's wholeness. It's completeness. Sozo in Greek. It's, it's healing. It's prosperity. It's everything you need to step into your purpose. Not so you can experience it in heaven. You don't need prosperity in heaven. You don't need healing in heaven. You need it right now. You don't need peace in heaven or joy in heaven. You need it right now. So what do we do? We renew our minds to what we're in possession of and work it out. Get rid of all the junk. We're not trying to discover who we are. We're trying to uncover who we are. And we just piled on all these lies, all this unbelief. But God calls you righteous and holy and blameless and prosperous and blessed, full of peace and joy and self-control. Everything you need for this life, complete success in every single area of your life is on the inside of you. So now it's your job to get rid of all the stuff that doesn't line up with that. Renew your mind to that and let work that salvation out with fear and trembling. 
he says. Why? Because that's so different than how the world typically thinks. So you're going to look different, and it's going to be scary at times. Is that a good word for you? I think we just need to redefine what scary is because we're just so comfortable in all the pain and all the lack and the dis discomfort, really. And it's not even comfortable, it's, it's just familiar to us. So stop, break free of what's familiar. Actually, put uh, Romans 12 in the uh, message up, please. So here's what I want you to do. <laughs> God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. That is powerful. But don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So you're going to start acting on this. You're going to start stewarding your time well. You're going to start stewarding your thoughts well. It's going to change how you talk. It's going to change how you walk. And everybody's going to say, you are out of your mind. You're lying to yourself. And they're going to try to drag you down to their level because it's easier to pull you down to their level than it is to, for them to, to acknowledge some stuff that needs to be fixed on the inside of them and rise up to your level. Don't let the world pull you down. You live the life that you're created to live, and you will start to elevate the people around you. The world around you will start to shift. It's kind of like whenever um, the disciples were out fishing all night, not catching anything, and Jesus, they're, they're packing everything up, and Jesus says, go back out there and let down your nets again. And they do it, and this, but this time they pull in, Crazy amounts of fish. So much, it says, that their boat's uh, sinking. But not only is their boat sinking, all their partners' boats are sinking. All the people around them, their boats were sinking because there was such an overabundance for not just the people that did what they were supposed to do, the disciples, but even the people around them. It affected everybody around them. That's what will happen when you start doing this. Yeah, step out and start speaking these things. And a fruit or a result of that will be obedience and serving and that sort of thing. Not out of obligation, but just, it just starts to happen. And people will start to experience your blessing. The people in your life will experience it. I think people that just are friends with me are blessed more than they could ever believe. And they don't even know why. It's because of me. So what do you do? <laughs> How do you steward your thoughts? Again, stewardship means to protect and expand. So you have to realize that not every thought should be protected and expanded. I've known certain people who every thought they had, that's God. God's telling me to do this. God's telling me to do that. Well, I used to 
uh, we lived in Pueblo, Colorado, and we'd drive up to the Bible College in Colorado Springs, and then later in Woodland Park, we'd drive, it was about an hour, hour and 15 minute drive. There was uh, me, and, and we had this girl living with us in our basement. She was a Bible College student there, and she's a pretty girl. And this other guy that went to our church, and uh, he thought God said, marry her. God didn't tell her that, though. <laughs> and it made for an awkward drive, for sure. And then he, we started taking leadership classes and that sort of thing. And he said, oh, the God's telling me to write a book on leadership. It's like, well, you've never led anything. You're just sitting in these classes. Of course you're good. You get, you get real excited about something, and then suddenly God said, and if you come up to me and say, God told me, I don't even know why you're talking to me at that point. If you say, God told me to go and do this, then go do it. Who is Clinton Zeller if God told you to do something like that? I like to say I felt like God told me, and then that allows counsel. But anyway, not every thought that pops into your head is God. If you're feeling condemnation, that's definitely not God. But that's where you have to delight yourself in the Lord, and that desire comes alive on the inside of you. And as you continue to spend time with him, that desire will either grow or diminish. That's how I make every decision. Not every decision, but every big decision in my life. I, I just delight myself in the Lord. That's what I did with starting this church. I had this kooky idea to start a church. Never wanted to start a church. It was not on my radar, and this idea pops into my mind. And so I spent more time with the Lord, and the desire grew. If I spent more time with the Lord and it went away, I wouldn't have done it. It's that simple. How do you hear God's voice? That's how I do it. And here we are. Not everything that pops in your head is worth entertaining. You can't necessarily control every thought that pops in your head, but you can control what you do with it. I forgot tomorrow's Martin Luther King Day. But I got this quote from him, so that, that's cool. You cannot keep birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Sometimes we just, we entertain thoughts for so long, and we're anxious, and we're stressed out, or we're angry, or we're offended, or we have a poverty mentality, and we just entertain that thought, and we take ownership of it. I'm always sick. I'm always hurting. My back always hurts. I'm old. I'm young. I'm overweight. I'm whatever. And we just entertain that thought, and then that becomes our life, and it becomes our identity. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You don't have to put it up there, Cody, but uh, the New Living Translation says, For though we're human, but we don't, we don't wage war as humans do. I think that is so powerful so powerful. You're not just an everyday human. You have the power of God that raised Christ on the, uh, from the dead on the inside of you. Why would we wage war like just some other dude or dudette? Why would we? It's, no, you are a powerful person. We don't wage war like everyone else does because we know the power that we possess. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in pulling down strongholds. Real quick, because I've talked about this before, strongholds aren't necessarily negative. It's whatever you're holding on to. If you're strongly holding on to something, that's a stronghold. And some of them are good, some of them are bad. But you have the power to hold on strongly to good things and, and release the bad things. 
casting down arguments and every high thing that it exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is full. So whenever you get those thoughts, those crazy thoughts, those thoughts that I'm just an angry person, or I'm just anxious all the time, or, or depressed, whatever, fill in the blank. Poverty mentality is a really big deal in our society. You might have a lot of money and still have a poverty mentality. You're not generous. You're hanging on to everything because you're afraid to lose it. You have a lot of money and still have a poverty mentality. So what do you do? You bring that thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience. So you'll start to know as time goes on, it might be kind of difficult to differentiate between, is this really God or is this, is this me? Or is this just some, you know, I'm allowing outside things to uh, affect my, my thought life. And so it's, it's tough at first. And if you want just a simple way is if it's good, assume it's God. And if it's bad, don't. Is that okay? I mean... <laughs> So if a negative thought pops into your head, shut it down and replace it with two positive things that God says about your situation. I've, I've bought, I've uh, thought, or I've battled, bought, thought, battled, uh, thought. I battle negative thoughts about myself where I'm not smart enough. I'm just stupid. Who would want to listen to me? And, and I have to say, no, I have the mind of Christ made on purpose for a purpose, called to something great. Just whatever. I'm ugly. I'm ugly. Who would want me? No, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, beautiful and perfect in the eyes of the Father. When you start to renew your mind to the things that God says about you, it'll start to change how you act. And we're going to continue this series and talking about other areas of, of life to steward. But to be honest with you, when you start to do this, you won't even have to try to steward it better. You'll know that it's a gift and say, what am I, why am I wasting my time on this unnecessary junk? Why am I wasting my money on this unnecessary junk? Why am I not treating this and stewarding this? Why am I not protecting and expanding this, this gift that was given to me? What am I doing with it? It's like whenever you borrow someone's car, this is what you should do. This is what I do. But if they give it, I fill the tank before I give it back to them. I'm going to try to return it better than I got it. Even if they gave it to me with a quarter tank, I'll go ahead and fill it for them for letting me borrow the car. Some of you are like, I'm going to let him borrow my car. But <laughs> I mean, I try. I, I, sometimes I take better care of somebody else's stuff because I want, I just want to be good with it. I don't know why. <laughs> but I, I take better care of other people's stuff than I do my own sometimes. But if I realize that even the stuff that I view as my own was given to me, I'll start to treat that better and steward that better and start to protect and expand that and, and give it back at the end of this life better than I received it. And I've said this before. I heard uh, uh, somebody say this, and it's not theologically correct necessarily, but I still think it's good. But whenever I'm standing in front of God someday, I want to live a life where God himself is surprised at how much I protected and expanded the things that he gave me. 
Now, I know that that's not necessarily true, but that's the, motivate, or that's the, the mindset that I, I want to have. I'm going to take this life, and I'm going to do everything I can to the fullest of my ability because it's not even my ability. Even that's a gift. And as I realize that I have more power and ability on the inside of me than I can ever really fully tap into, then I'll start to step into areas of my life that I never thought I could before. And I'll take risks whenever I never thought I was capable before. Starting a church, that's a huge risk. It's not all, I mean, it's, it's natural things too. Maybe there's a business on the inside of you that the world needs. And now you know that you're not in it alone and that you do have the power that raised Christ from the dead on the inside of you. And God's not going to let you fail. You might learn something along the way, but you're not going to fail. You're not going to die. And even if it seems like you failed, you never really fail. You just learn from that situation and you try something different. No big deal. So you start to take risk and you start to step into areas and say, I'm, I'm done working for the man. I'm done punching the time clock. I'm done living the rat race. I'm, I'm going to get off the wheel and I'm going to do something that's going to bring more fulfillment to my life. And as you do that, the money will follow and everything else will follow. I'm telling you, that's what I want for our church. But we have to steward our things. We have to protect and expand it, subdue it, dominate life. And that's when life gets real good. Amen.